Welcome to the Stay Wealthy Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Schulte, and today I'm tackling part four of our series on financial advisors. Specifically, I'm covering three big things today. Number one, what is a fiduciary financial advisor and how important is it to work with one? Number two, how are fee-only advisors different from fee-based advisors? And finally, number three, where can retirement savers search for a financial advisor based on their situation and their desired criteria? If you want to finally understand some of the most misunderstood terms used in the world of financial advice, today's episode is for you. For the links and resources mentioned, just head over to youstaywealthy.com forward slash 177. Chances are you've seen or heard the F word used in conversations about financial advisors, the F word being fiduciary. In the legal and medical world, the term fiduciary is pretty straightforward. In fact, all doctors and lawyers, per their regulatory guidelines, have a fiduciary obligation to their customers. In other words, they are legally required to act in their clients or their patients' best interests at all times. And while some financial advisors adhere to the fiduciary standard, unlike doctors and attorneys, they are not required to, and the vast majority don't. Now, not operating under the fiduciary standard doesn't necessarily mean that these advisors don't act in their clients' best interests. However, their businesses and compensation arrangements are not structured in a way that meet the requirements to hold themselves out as a fiduciary. The F word has grown in popularity over the years, and it's caused a lot of confusion for retirement savers and investors who are working with a financial advisor or searching for one. So my goal today is to clear up that confusion. And to start, let's define what the term means as it relates to financial advisors, and then we'll break down a number of common misconceptions. One of the best descriptions I've heard of this overused and often misunderstood term as it relates to financial advisors comes from Tony Robbins on the Build series. 10% of those 310,000, 31,000 people in the whole country are considered fiduciaries. That's the F word. Fiduciary. Fiduciary. Get with me. I got it. So let me clarify. What it means is these people are under the law required to put your needs ahead of their own. Now, if you go to Australia, the UK, most countries in the world, not only are doctors and lawyers fiduciaries, just like our country, that lawyer has to put you first. That doctor has to put your needs ahead of their own. They mm-hmm. can't order tests just to add up fees for themselves. And if they do, there's severe consequences. Okay. We're the only country like that in America because of the financial lobby. They're not fiduciaries. You have to decide to be a fiduciary. And if you do, they're called RIAs, Registered Investment Advisors or Fiduciaries. And So if they tell you to buy Apple this morning, and they buy Apple tonight, and they get a better price, they have to give you their stock. That's how strong the law is. That is not true for any broker. But then I found something else out, and that is, out of the 31,000 people that have to put you first, 26,000 of them are duly registered, which means they're a broker and a fiduciary. So if you say you're a fiduciary, they'll say, yeah, I'm just here. I'm going to just guide you. I'm not going to sell you anything I benefit from. But in the middle of the conversation, they put on a new hat, and they sell you a product that they get a big commission on after they said that they're here just to give you advice. It's like if you went to a butcher and said, what should I eat? You know he's going to sell you meat. That's what he sells. If you go to a dietitian, and, and the butcher's a good guy. He probably eats the same meat. He's probably fat and in trouble too, right? But if you go to a dietitian, you're not paying them to sell you anything. You're paying them to be independent, registered investment advisors, an independent advisor. And so what they're going to do is they're going to go, wait a second, too much of that meat, you're going to get cancer. We need some salad. We need some veggies. We need a little fish here. And they're not being incentivized to sell you anything. 
right? They just get a, a fee for what they do. That's the person you want. There's only 5,000 in the entire United States out of 310,000, 1.6%. That's why most people get screwed. To further help clarify any confusion, let me just summarize the three most important points that I think Tony made. First, a fiduciary financial advisor is legally required to put their client's interests ahead of their own. Second, by definition, a financial advisor cannot be a fiduciary if they earn any amount of their compensation through commissions. That was the, the first transactional fee structure that we discussed in last week's episode. And then finally, number three, some financial advisors operate in a way that allows them to put their fiduciary hat on and take it off as they see fit, sometimes without the client knowing it. To some advisors, this unique business structure has given them permission to tell clients that they are a fiduciary, even if there are situations where they are not adhering to this strict standard. Now, before we go any further, there are two small corrections that I want to make to Tony's comments. The first is that just because a firm is structured as a registered investment advisor or RIA doesn't mean that you can automatically assume they are a fiduciary 100% of the time. Some RIAs can take their fiduciary hat on and off. As I just mentioned, we refer to these firms as hybrid firms. I think what Tony might have been trying to point out is that none of the large publicly traded brokerage firms that we all know by name, none of these large publicly traded brokerage firms meet the requirements that allow them to hold themselves out as a fiduciary 100% of the time. That if working with an advisor who is always a fiduciary, you'll need to narrow your search down to independent registered investment advisors or RIAs, and then from there, find one who is not a hybrid firm and adheres to the fiduciary standard 100% of the time. And that is an accurate statement. In fact, if you think about it, a publicly traded wealth management firm has a fiduciary responsibility first to their shareholders. Their priority is to grow the bottom line of the business. And while I'm sure they are also motivated to do good work for their clients, this structure can create unwanted conflicts of interest for some retirement savers. The second small correction that I want to make is to the number of true fiduciary financial advisors in this country. Tony mentioned that there were only about 5,000 of them in the U.S., and while the real number is, in fact, strikingly low, my research and conversations with industry experts suggest that there are closer to maybe 15,000 or even 20,000 financial advisors that do adhere to the fiduciary standard 100% of the time. Again, as a percentage of the 300,000 plus licensed financial advisors in this country, even 15,000 or 20,000 is still very low, but perhaps not quite as low as Tony had suggested. As I've alluded to, most financial advisors and advisory firms have found a way to answer yes when being asked by a client if they are a fiduciary. The most common being that there are specific situations where these hybrid firms do in fact put their fiduciary hat on, and this ability to swap hats when needed suggests to them that they can tell their clients that they are a fiduciary. So unfortunately, it's just not as simple as asking a financial advisor this question because most can find a way to answer yes and then continue on with their day. A better version of that question might be, are you a fiduciary 100% of the time, which attempts to uncover if the advisor is able to take their fiduciary hat on and off. But even then, you may not be able to get a completely transparent answer, and advisors might have a clever way of answering this question to satisfy the client or the potential client asking it. 
Given all of this, if working with someone who is a fiduciary 100% of the time is important to you and you want to know that you're getting an accurate answer, there are two solutions for you to consider. First, there is a publicly available legal document that every financial advisory firm in this country is required to update, file, and send to their clients at least one time per year. This document is known as Form ADV, and you can find an advisor's Form ADV on the SEC website, which I'll link to in the show notes, or you can simply ask the financial advisor you're working with or considering hiring for a copy of the document. With a copy of Form ADV in your hands, you can then look to Section 5E, which documents the advisor's compensation structure. If the compensation structure or arrangement titled commissions, if the commissions box is checked, the advisor and their firm cannot hold themselves out as being a fiduciary 100% of the time. Now, they might be good, honest people, great advisors, and adhere to the fiduciary standard in some situations, but they are not legally obligated to in every situation. Number two, instead of digging through public documents, another solution is to simply ask the advisor to sign a fiduciary letter of commitment. You can write one up yourself or use mine as a starting point. As noted in last week's episode, I call mine the letter your broker won't sign, and I'll link to it again in the show notes today if you're interested. And while it's possible that a fiduciary financial advisor might suggest a few small edits to the letter that you give them to satisfy their legal team, if someone truly is a fiduciary 100% of the time, they shouldn't have an issue signing something that confirms their legal obligation to put your interests ahead of theirs at all times. So to recap, there are financial advisors who very clearly do not meet the requirements to hold themselves out as a fiduciary. There are advisors, often referred to as hybrid firms or duly registered firms, who can be a fiduciary in some situations, but not in every situation. And there are a small percentage of advisors, maybe 15,000 or 20,000 in this country, who very clearly meet the legal requirements and adhere to the fiduciary standard 100% of the time. With all of this in mind, how important is it that someone work with an advisor who adheres to the fiduciary standard 100% of the time? Is there a case to be made to work with someone who is not a fiduciary or who only adheres to the fiduciary standard in some situations? So to tackle the, the first part of that question, yes, I do personally think that it's important to work with an advisor who pledges to put your interests ahead of their own at all times. And while I do favor finding an advisor who adheres to the fiduciary standard 100% of the time, I also recognize that a professional doesn't necessarily have to meet all of the technical and legal requirements in order to do good work and, and put their clients' interests first. I know, I, I personally know many competent, honest financial advisors who hold themselves to an equally high standard of care and take great care of their clients, but don't meet the exact requirements that allow them to sign a letter stating that they are a fiduciary 100% of the time. Because the reality is that a relatively harmless business decision, like opting to get paid to help clients secure low-cost term insurance, a relatively harmless business decision like that would immediately disqualify them from adhering to the fiduciary standard 100% of the time. They might meet the requirements in every other aspect of their business. They might be an amazing person, an honest person, a competent advisor, but getting paid a commission on some life insurance cases throughout the year is a situation where the fiduciary hat is not being worn. 
Also, there are cases where a financial advisor truly does adhere to the fiduciary standard in every situation with their personal clients, but the firm that they hold their licenses with doesn't meet all of the legal requirements. As a result, this would prevent the advisor from holding themselves out as a fiduciary 100% of the time or signing a fiduciary letter of commitment since the structure of their firm takes precedence over how the individual advisors at that firm have structured their practice and how they charge for their services. And sure, the advisor in this situation could certainly change firms and, and join one that does meet all of the requirements to be labeled as a fiduciary. But it's not always as simple as just leaving one company and joining another. That's a big, complicated decision that might not only have a negative impact on them and their family, but it could also be a distraction from spending time and energy just taking good care of their clients. In the end, I think this issue really falls back on the profession, the lack of experience and education requirements, and the lack of standardization of titles and designations. Until then, be prepared to sort through this maze on your own, and I'll be prepared to accept that consumers will likely continue to trust banks, insurance companies, and credit card companies more than financial advisors, as highlighted by that recent market consult survey that I mentioned in the first part of this series. So to continue on through this maze of confusing terminology, what if an advisor or advisory firm does not adhere to the fiduciary standard? In that case, what sort of standard are they governed by when getting paid to give financial and investment advice to customers? Well, this standard is known as the suitability standard or suitability obligation, and this is what most of the 300,000 advisors in this country adhere to or operate under. In short, the suitability standard says that advisors must have a reasonable basis to believe that their recommendations are suitable for the client's investment profile. A client's investment profile includes, but it's not limited to, their age, their other investments, their financial situation and needs, their tax status, investment objectives, their time horizon, liquidity needs, risk tolerance, and any other relevant information that the client discloses. The advisor is also required to ensure that the fees are not excessive, but unlike a fiduciary advisor, they aren't required to recommend the lowest cost solution or even the highest quality. They just need to be able to prove that the recommendation they're making is suitable and that it benefits the client. An investment product or an insurance product or any sort of transactional product can be expensive and or lower quality compared to what else is out there but it can still be suitable and meet the obligations set under the suitability standard. To be extra clear, if an advisor earns any amount of compensation through commissions, that transactional fee structure that we discussed last week, if they earn any amount of compensation through commissions, they would be operating under the suitability standard and not the fiduciary standard. An advisor charging hourly fees, one-time project fees, flat annual fees, or even a percentage of investments or AUM fee, those advisors would be operating under the fiduciary standard. And an advisor earning some fees from commissions and some fees through the other fee models that we discussed would be operating under both standards. They would put their fiduciary hat on and take it off depending on the situation. Once again, these are known as hybrid firms or duly registered firms, and while many hybrid firms do great work for their clients, the dual standard has understandably caused a lot of confusion, and hopefully I've cleared up a lot of that confusion today. 
Now, with that, let's clear up one more set of wildly confusing terms that relate to the fiduciary and suitability standard. Those terms are fee-only and fee-based. You might have assumed that fee-only and fee-based mean the same thing. Once again, our profession has done retirement savers no favors with these made-up terms that are not standardized, but these two terms do in fact mean two different things. A fee-only financial advisor would also be considered a fiduciary 100% of the time. They do not earn any compensation in the form of commissions. The only compensation they receive is a transparent fee paid to them directly by the client. This can be in the form of an hourly fee, a one-time project fee, a flat annual fee, or a percentage of assets fee known as a percentage of AUM fee. I often refer to fee-only advisors as commission-free advisors. It's just a little more descriptive and clearly highlights that these advisors can be compensated pretty much through any other fee method except for selling transactional products in return for a commission. On the other hand, a fee-based financial advisor would not be a fiduciary 100% of the time. These are the hybrid advisors or hybrid firms that we discussed a few minutes ago who earn some compensation from commissions and some compensation from the other fee structures we've been discussing. In some situations, they have their fiduciary hat on and charge a transparent fee for their advice. And in other cases, they have their suitability hat on and earn a commission for selling clients a product like an insurance policy, an annuity, a private real estate investment trust, or a front-loaded mutual fund. They can wear both hats, and it's not always easy for the client to know what hat they're wearing and on what day. Similar to comments I've made earlier, I'm not here to suggest that fee-only advisors are good and fee-based advisors are bad. My goal is to define these terms and clear up any confusion so that you can make an informed decision about the type of advisor that's the best fit for you. On that note, I want to wrap up today's episode by providing some resources that you can lean on for finding the most appropriate financial advisor. Before I share those resources, I do want to quickly mention that my firm is looking to work with and help about 12 new families this year. And just like a neurosurgeon, we remain highly specialized. We are experts in tax and retirement planning for people over age 50 who have accumulated a nest egg of $1 million or more. We currently work with about 90 families all around the country, many who have been longtime listeners of this podcast. And for what it's worth, if it's important to you, we are a fee-only firm and we do adhere to the fiduciary standard 100% of the time. To help you evaluate our firm, we're currently offering a free retirement and tax analysis. Through this free process, we will show you exactly how you can lower your tax bill and improve retirement success, as well as answer your most pressing questions. And we don't hold anything back here, allowing you to see exactly how we work, our approach to tax and retirement planning, and how we can help you if you choose to hire us. To learn more about our free retirement assessment and schedule an introductory phone call, just head over to www.freeretirementassessment.com. That's freeretirementassessment.com. And for your convenience, I'll also provide a link to it in the episode description right in your podcast app, as well as today's show notes. Now, if for any reason we don't appear to have the right expertise to help you, or you just prefer not to complicate this podcast listener host relationship that we have, here are five resources that I would recommend to search for a financial advisor based on the criteria that's most important to you. The first resource is actually a combination of two similar resources, and those are the CFP boards Find a CFP Professional website, that's letsmakeaplan.org, and the Financial Planning Association's 
planner search website, which can be found by going to plannersearch.org. Now, the common thread between these two sites is that financial advisors listed must also be a certified financial planner. That being said, both websites include advisors that adhere to both the fiduciary standard and the suitability standard. They also include fee-only advisors and fee-based advisors. While this means that the databases are much larger than others, Each of these sites allow you to filter for the exact type of advisor that you're looking for. You can filter based on zip code, services provided, compensation structures, languages spoken, and more. Once again, those websites, which I'll link to in the show notes, are letsmakeaplan.org and plannersearch.org. The second resource to consider leaning on is the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, or NAPFA. The website is napfa.org, N-A-P-F-A.org. And financial advisors listed on the NAPFA website must be fee only and must also adhere to the fiduciary standard 100% of the time. The organization actually reviews each advisor member's form ADV to confirm that both criteria are met. And similar to the CFP board website and the FPA website, NAPFA.org does allow you to apply different filters to your search, helping you to narrow down a short list of advisors that you might consider interviewing. The third resource that I want to mention is the XY Planning Network, or XYPN. Similar to NAPFA, the XY Planning Network is limited to advisor members who are fee-only and adhere to the fiduciary standard all the time. In addition, their primary focus, XYPN's primary focus, is on helping younger investors find a financial advisor, hence the name XY, which is referring to Generations X and Y. So if you happen to be a younger retirement saver looking for professional help, this might be a good resource to consider. That being said, there are still some firms, including mine, that are members of this network who don't work with younger professionals and specialize in helping people in retirement or close to it. The website for XYPN is xyplanningnetwork.com. The fourth resource is primarily for people looking for limited term engagements, specifically on an hourly basis. The organization is the Garrett Planning Network, and their website is garrettplanningnetwork.com. This network requires the advisor members listed to be fee-only, fiduciary, and a CFP professional. They also require advisor members on this website to offer services on an hourly basis. So if a short-term hourly-based relationship is most suitable for you, this might be a good place to begin your due diligence. And finally, the fifth and final resource to mention is one that I've brought up recently when talking about my upcoming book, More Than Money, and that is the Foundation for Financial Planning, or FFP. Their website is ffpprobono.org, and they are a nonprofit organization dedicated to expanding access to pro bono or free financial advice. So if you or someone you know is in need of financial help, but doesn't have the resources to pay a professional, consider leaning on the FFP. You can also search for similar financial literacy organizations right in your city. For example, in San Diego, we have the San Diego Financial Literacy Center, and other cities across the country have similar nonprofit organizations that can be a great resource to those who are in need. Lastly, while not necessarily a formal resource, you can also head straight to Google to do your own searching. You can type in different keywords based on what you're looking for, such as financial advisor near me or financial advisor in Boston or even financial advisor for physicians. You can also search for topics that advisors might have written about to help you find people who are experts in solving problems that you might need help with. Topics like Medicare Irma or how to reduce Irma or Roth conversion 
pros and cons or traditional versus Roth 401k. Now, taking this route will, of course, require a lot more of your time since Google is not doing any filtering based on the criteria that we've discussed in this series. In other words, you might find a great article on, I don't know, creating income in retirement, but through your due diligence process, you might find out that the advisor's fee structure or philosophy who wrote the article does not align with what you're looking for. So this path just might require a little more of your time upfront to find the right advisor, but it's still one to consider. Okay, I know I referenced a lot of websites and resources in today's episode, so if you missed one of them and you weren't able to write it down, just know that I've linked to everything mentioned in today's episode in the show notes, which can be found by going to youstaywealthy.com forward slash 177. Next week, I'll be wrapping up this series by answering a handful of frequently asked questions that I regularly receive from retirement savers. Questions like, how important is it for advisors to have designations like the CFP, the CFA, or even the SEMA? What are the best practices for firing a financial advisor or even communicating to your advisor that you're unhappy? And what is a financial coach? And would that be a good alternative to hiring a financial advisor? And more questions like these. Once again, you can grab today's show notes by going to youstaywealthy.com forward slash 177. Thank you as always for listening and I'll see you back here next week. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.